Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you very much. I can confirm I'm here, but Dr. Joshua Beck is on special assignment today. For Wellmed Radio, we've got a great co-host, Tamika Sanchez, who is a registered nurse with Wellmed, got her RN from St. Phillips in San Antonio, bachelor's in nursing from UT Arlington, and she's been with Wellmed for about three years as a special projects nurse. And last week, uh, we had talked about what you do as a special projects nurse, which Oddly enough, is special projects. What were you doing before WellMed? Before WellMed, I've done a couple of different things, actually, which is the great thing about nursing is that I can do a lot of different things. But the majority of my career is spent in doing labor and delivery. Oh, really? Yes. So you've been in the uh, operating room? Yes, sir. Operating room. That watching little babies. Yes, I love delivering babies. What is that like? It is amazing, and it's always a privilege to be there during that special time in someone's life. Yeah, I, I just I always felt honored to be there with them. Well, you're the right one to ask this question because we have uh, adopted six-year-old twin boys. They were infants when we adopted them, and we have an adopted eight-year-old daughter. Uh, and, and the twins, uh, when we went to uh, uh, the NICU at uh, Baptist Northeast, uh, they were laughing and saying uh, when Carter was delivered or Kennedy was delivered first, uh, the doctor said, okay, let's close up, and it was a cesarean. Yes. And he was walking out, and uh, one of the nurses said, doctor, there's another one in here. Yeah, exactly. Did they not know? <laughs> no, they didn't know. That's amazing. And she had, I mean, it's a long story, but uh, a mother who hadn't done, uh, you know, regular checkups, they had no idea. Uh, and uh, when they brought her in, uh, the one baby was hiding yes. behind the other baby. You've seen that. That does happen. Yes, I have seen that. Definitely. And so the joke was, there's another one. <laughs> and that's, that's not unusual. No, that does happen. It does happen, especially if there isn't a lot of prenatal care. Right. That does happen. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, we have the opportunity to talk with a, a physician who is with Family Medical Home over at the Westover Clinic. His name is uh, Dr. Alessandro Valverde, born in Westlaco, down in the valley, raised in Edinburgh, attended the University of Texas Pan American, where he graduated only magna cum laude in 2010 <laughs> with a double major in Bachelor of Science in Chemistry and Biology, overachiever. Yes. <laughs> he then attended medical school at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, graduated in 2014. And Dr. Valverde, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. Man, you were a real go-getter. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I try. I try. For, uh, with a double major that you had, biology, chemistry, how many hours a semester were you carrying? Uh, I came in, actually, to college already a sophomore. So I was of course carrying, you did. <laughs> so I was carrying about 18 to 20 hours per semester, but that last year was a little... A little lower course since I'd already picked up quite a few hours before I started. So now, it wasn't too how bad. did you get those college credits in high school? Through high school is a dual enrollment program. Um, so several um, like AP courses, my junior and senior year in high school, we already picked up. Uh, we could pick up an AP and um, college credit at the same time. Save your folks a lot of money and you too. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's why I stayed um, yeah, stayed at home for college. I always tell anybody that asks me, um, you know, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter where you started your, your education. They always ask you the last thing you usually did. So they either ask me about medical school or residency. No one ever asked me about undergrad. In fact, right. this is the first time I've talked about it in years. 
Well, it's fascinating because uh, you put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of work into it. Why did you want to become a doctor? Uh, so originally, you know, so I, I'd, I'd been wanting to Because you could have been pursue, a researcher. Oh, that's actually the path I was going towards, and that's why I chose chemistry. In case the med school plan didn't work out, I would pursue master's and Ph.D. in chemistry. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, ever since I was four, I had some, some health issues growing up, several surgeries, and that really, you know, directed me towards the path of medicine. You're the kid in the garage who's making things that blow up houses? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I never did that. <laughs> that was more my brother, actually. <laughs> did you have a chemistry set growing up that you played with? Yes, yes. People uh, may not remember several. those, but I, I remember them very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the little kind of pre-packaged uh, experiments, you know, step by step. And, yeah, I did that growing up. That was fun. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then you, you go to medical school. What yes. led you into family practice? Uh, so I just like the idea of um, being able to take care of anything, you know, that, that walks through the door. And uh, I, I mean, as far as, you know, specialties are concerned, you know, you're, you're dealing with one sort of, you know, pathway, one sort of body part that, you know, I felt I would uh, get a little bored of doing the same thing over and over. So I like the idea of um, diversity. And you still do. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm only three years into practice. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> but sticking with it. That's correct. Not going back into research. Uh. No, 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 no. Not, at least not anytime soon. Now, if you've just joined us, he's a physician, Alessandro Verde, uh, private uh, PCP, and he's at Family Medical Home at Westover Clinic. Our special co-host today, Tamika Sanchez, who is a nurse at WellMed, and we're delighted to have all of you with us here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. And one of the things when we talked to you about coming on the show uh, that you had an interest in was fatty liver cirrhosis. Yes. And whenever you hear that term, you automatically think, well, you know, it's somebody who drank too much. Not always the case. No, no, no. Actually, non-alcoholic fatty liver has it in the name non-alcoholic, which means these are people that really haven't uh, drank a substantial amount of alcohol to cause any type of fatty liver fibrosis, cirrhosis, and end-stage liver disease. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a continually growing problem. In fact, it's increasingly becoming the number one cause of liver transplantation here in the U.S. Now that um, hepatitis C, there's essentially a cure for hepatitis C. You get three to six months of treatment, depending on the genotype, and you're fine. We don't see a lot of, or I mean, we still see them, but we're going to start to see less and less and less as the years progress, because it's it's being cured and it's not going to its end stages. So what's left? Well, fatty liver. So talk to us about mm -hmm. the liver first. Give us, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, liver 101. Sure, sure. What is the liver's role in our body? So the liver has a lot, a lot of functions, way too many to just uh, condense in a small period of time. But overall, um, the liver essentially cleans toxins. Um, toxins are poisons? Uh, yes, correct. So it, uh, it'll kind of... It'll essentially detoxify whatever whatever's in the blood. So anything that is an active uh, form of a toxin, it'll deactivate so that way it can get either excreted through the urine or, or feces. That's that's its main, main function, but there's several other functions. How does it know to do that? Well, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Uh, evolution, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and, and when it comes to fatty liver disease, mm -hmm. do you know you have it? 
Uh, so some people may not know that they have it until you get blood work done. Blood work or just incidental finding on either an MRI, CT, or ultrasound. What are the symptoms? For fatty liver, nothing. Uh, you're not going to feel anything until it's already progressed into advanced stages of usually cirrhosis. And then you die. Uh, unfortunately, that does happen. Wow. Interesting. Now, Tamika, in the work you did as a nurse before you came to WellMed doing what you're doing now, you spent a lot of time in the OR, OBGYN. Uh, did you work on transplants as well? I did not. I didn't get that privilege of, of working with transplant patients. Um, definitely the, we had what's called HELP syndrome, which does affect the liver. Um, and so we did kind of work in that aspect of the liver, but I didn't get to work with any transplant patients. But definitely, I mean, it's, it's amazing liver how liver transplants even work that you don't need a full liver <laughs> to be transplanted in order to have um, great success with that transplant. So they're like frogs who lose a leg they'll regrow it? <laughs> That's correct it's um, one of the uh, at least the only body part at least right now that I can think of that um, you can actually cut part of it off and a healthy liver can regenerate so that's the So key living portion. donors can donate. Exactly exactly and there is a living donor um, program transplant service here in San Antonio through the University Health System and it's one of two living donors Owner, um, centers uh, in the country. So, uh, so yeah, it's pretty interesting, uh, you know, their process. And in fact, most people would think that, you know, it has to be someone, you know, family related, genetically related. But the truth is, as long as the blood types match, um, everything else, as long as the liver proportions are okay, it's a good, healthy liver that can and a healthy, you know, uh, patient, um, you can undergo a liver transplant. It can be just anybody walking down the street. And they do have altruistic donors that you can sign up for through the university system. That's great. How much of, well, first of all, how big is the liver? What do they normally weigh? Uh, that's, uh, I'd have to look that specific information up. I don't know the exact way to live. Well, give me a ballpark. A ballpark? You sound like a football in there. <laughs> uh, it's it's not a football. No, no, it's not the size of a football. I, I couldn't even give you a ballpark, to be honest. So when someone goes in as a living donor mm -hmm. to donate a chunk of their liver. That's correct. They then regenerate the rest of the liver? That's correct, yeah. So over a... And, and what, oh, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, over somewhere about the six to nine month period, the liver will regenerate back to its uh, original state. That's all? Six yes, to nine just, months? Just a short six to nine months. Wow. Can we get stem cells to do that for kidneys? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm, uh, at least I'm peripherally aware of stem cell research into regrowing multiple organs as a as an eventual uh, solution to our, you know, transplant uh, shortage. Shortage, exactly. It's not just for livers, for kidneys, heart, you know, everything. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, thousands of people that die on the transplantation list. And unfortunately, the way the transplantation list works is usually um, you know, they have something that's called the MELD score to determine how sick a person is from their liver disease. And um, the sicker the person is, the higher they are on the list. But it's a fine tuning because if you get too sick, well, then you're too sick to have surgery. And just intellectually, we know that if you're kind of sort of sick, but not real sick, you do better with a transplant. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So th that's why, um, you know, people that are, are, are cirrhotics but compensated cirrhotics that have lower scores that are healthier can do better with living donor transplants because they're healthier to start off with, so they'll live much longer. Is there an age uh, ceiling on who can donate? I'm 77. You want a piece of my liver? Uh, unfortunately, you passed the cutoff. Oh. It's uh, between 21 to 61. I tried uh, to donate a kidney. A good friend of mine, uh, in fact, just got a kidney, uh, and I had volunteered. And they told me the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the transplant folks said, eh, 
yeah, we don't want your old kidney. <laughs> it's, a, it's a few too many miles on it, and they don't know how, how long it would last. That would be the problem. And, and so you look for younger, healthier people. But exactly. as you said, and I, I don't know, Tamika may have known this. She's a nurse. You don't have to be related. No, 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 that's correct. Uh, as long as the blood types match, even if they do a cross-mixing, and I'm not sure about specifics for kidneys, but for, for liver, that's the, even, if the, even if there is a cross-match positive reactivity. Uh, what does that pa- mean? So that means that um, there's some sort of um, immunologic reaction between both blood samples. Uh, the liver still can, can be transplanted and still do well. Because it cleans up stuff. That's correct. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Stay with me just a minute. I'm Ron Aaron along with our very special guest, Alessandro Valverde, and our co-host today, pinch hitting for Dr. Joshua Beck, is Tamika Sanchez, a nurse with WellMed. You're listening to us on 930 AM. The answer, this is WellMed Radio. What makes WellMed so unique? Just listen. Clinicians here are part of the community. We're treating our families. She listens to me and figure out what's best for me. He recommended a medication that immediately solved the problem. It's changed my life a lot. Keeping older adults happy and feeling their best. That's WellMed. Learn more about WellMed, our doctors, and our preventive care services, and get healthier today at wellmedfindadoctor.com. We are so pleased you are listening to us today on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to WellMed Radio. Our guest co-host today, Tamika Sanchez, who is a registered nurse with WellMed, part of their special project nurse program. And our guest, Dr. Alessandro Valverde, he is with Family Medical Home out at Westover Clinic. And we're talking about fatty liver cirrhosis. Uh, And we've got the 411 on livers Tell us about the disease, fatty liver cirrhosis. So fatty liver disease, at least uh, theoretically, it's uh, mostly from a sedentary lifestyle and poor dietary habits, so higher in basically fats. Uh, And at least what's theorized is the fat deposits in the liver. It creates an inflammatory response that eventually damages the liver slowly over time, that over decades. This is not over a five to ten year period, although Sometimes it can be, but usually greater than a decade, and you'll end up with some type of scarring and eventual cirrhosis. And what is your role in diagnosing fatty liver cirrhosis as a PCP? Right, right. So we're the front line of of catching it because we're doing annual physicals, blood work, and usually it pops up on the blood work. I'm sure somebody's probably heard, oh, yeah, you know, my liver enzymes slightly borderline. They told me fatty liver, and then they just kind of write it off. But unfortunately, somewhere between 20 to 30 percent of patients with fatty liver can progress to cirrhosis. So it's difficult for anyone to determine, well, is this fatty liver going to progress or not? So we just have to find and screen everybody and try and, try and treat. Do you go in and look at the liver or you do it all through blood work? So most of it is through blood work, but an ultrasound as well. So an ultrasound is the first diagnostic tool to see if there is fat content within the liver. And you can tell that. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And so you tell the patient, all right, now cut back on that chicken fried chicken. Uh, yes, yeah. So for years, for years, that was the case. It's uh, eat healthy, exercise, lose weight, which we tell everybody that all the time. Uh, so it can get you're just smiling. Kinda... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, not everybody follows that. And, uh, you know, I have to be honest, you know, myself included, I don't eat perfect either. 
but uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, if you're telling everybody that for your diabetes, your blood pressure, losing weight, well, you're going to tell them that for for your fatty liver as well, and that can just kind of get lost through the white noise. But fortunately, there's been a couple of um, couple of at least medications. Uh, one of them is uh, pioglitazone. Uh, it's uh, so it's uh, Actos, uh, a medication that was originally used for. Uh, for diabetes, and it's been shown that it can reduce fat content within the liver and may help in early stages of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And vitamin E is another supplement as well uh, that can be used. Uh, studies have shown that it can reduce fat content as well. Vitamin E is the stuff you can use on your face to uh, reduce scarring? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So there's oral versions of that, about 800 international units per day, uh, and studies have shown that can reduce fat How content. How do folks discover that? It's kind of like I wonder about the first person who, who ate an artichoke. How, how did they figure out how to do that? <laughs> well, and, and actually, that goes back to my roots from, from chemistry and biology research. Um, you start off with just cell, cell lines, cell cultures, and you, you know, produce an ab, uh, some type of extract, and um, you add it to the cell lines. I'm sure someone started off with fatty liver cells, and, hey, let's see if this helps it or not. And if you see results, then it you know, goes up the pipeline through wow. you know, mice-mouse uh, you know, mice, um, uh, studies to eventually human studies, FDA trials, that sort of stuff. I used to carry a cartoon around that showed a bunch of mice uh, in a cage and stacks and stacks of sodas uh, with saccharin around them, and one mice says to the other, I liked it better when we smoked. <laughs> <laughs> For you, non-smoking doctor, mm-hmm. is smoking related at all to fatty liver cirrhosis? Uh, at least not that I'm directly aware of, but I'm sure there's some sort of association because smoking just n- will increase inflammation throughout the body. You know, it increases the risk of cancer, and I'm sure there might be some small association. Maybe not direct, but I'm sure it definitely doesn't help. And the relationship between alcohol mm-hmm. and cirrhosis of the liver, uh, fatty non-alcoholic cirrhosis is one side what about the side related to alcohol consumption? So, yeah, alcohol consumption is is a direct toxin to the liver. So the liver can only take so much insult over time. It can only clean up so much of that alcohol over time to where eventually that toxin builds up. And that's the way that sort of inflammation damage to the liver occurs. So two different pathways but leading towards the same end. And when the liver isn't working, mm-hmm. uh, unlike with kidneys, can you do some kind of outside-the-body cleaning process, dialysis like you do on kidneys? Unfortunately, that's not the case, Uh, and that's the big problem with people waiting on the liver transplantation list is there's nothing we can do about it. They just get slowly sicker, sicker over time to about half the people on the, um, the liver transplantation list unfortunately pass away. And at least that's the good benefit of a living, don- living donor or altruistic living donor um, transplant that at least, you know, with, with the kidneys, you give one kidney and you only have one left. That's it. It's not regrowing. But at least the liver will regrow back and live a normal life. But normally, because kidneys are duplicative, you can do okay with one. Oh, yes, yes. You can live with one kidney um, a normal life, but unfortunately, if something happens to that one kidney, well, then you're kind you're, of Then stuck. you need a transplant. That's correct. Yeah. Interesting. 
Tamika, as you think about this, and as a nurse doing educational programs, mm -hmm. uh, do you deal with these issues as well? We do. We actually have a um, a, a whole course on fatty liver uh, disease, um, and it's it's a popular one. And I was um, thinking, um, Dr. Valverde, you were talking earlier about the diet um, preventions, you know, to try to avoid this, um, and talking about fat intake. Mm -hmm. There's some confusion on fat intake because some people think, oh, well, you know, um, well, then I can't eat avocados or I can't have salmon. But people don't really understand that those are those healthy fats. Yeah, so can you yeah. explain that a little bit? So, yeah, there's there's a difference between your good and bad fats. So your good fats, your omega-3s, omega-6 uh, fatty acids, which are found in a lot of fish like salmon and avocado have a lot of omega-3 fatty acids. So those type of fatty acids are fine. The, the fat that we're looking at as the bad fat content is anything fried, oil, grease, and red meats tend to be the big insults. Definitely, definitely. And, and of course, the exercise portion of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a great day today out in San Antonio. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was hot recently. It's, it's very hot. And uh, then, you know, we get our winters and people don't want to go outside. So um, how important is it to try to get some form of cardiovascular exercise for this? Yeah, it's very important. It's twofold. You're not going to lose, uh, you know, a good amount of weight or a good amount of fat content just by decreasing the amount you take in because you still have some, you know, left in your in your system and you want to try and burn off some of that. So yes, uh, cardiovascular activity, I understand it's tough in San Antonio. Uh, from South Texas, even further south than it's this. It's a little hotter in Westaco. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes it is. I've been there. <laughs> But, uh, but, yeah, just finding ways to at least, uh, I mean, it's not hot 24-7, uh, you know, in the evening, 6, 7 o'clock, go outside, you know, 15 to 30 minutes of vigorous physical activity. You tell people if you're not sweating, you're not working. Exactly. Now, some people go into malls, which are air-conditioned and Sure, walk. yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yes. walking around indoors in malls, gyms. Um, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to be flexible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And for you, you said you're not quite as active as you'd like to be. Mm -hmm. What do you do for exercise? Uh, so, yeah, as as I've, you know, gone past 30, when I was younger, I used just used to do a lot of lifting. So just, you know, lifting weights, trying to build mass. But as I've gotten older, you know, your metabolism slows down some. You start to, you know, gain some pounds. So I've just switched over to complete cardio and essentially just treadmill and elliptical. That's all I do. Treadmill at home? Uh, well, uh, I live in an apartment complex, actually, so I just use my apartment gym. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who buy treadmills discover what they really become is clothes hangers. <laughs> that's that <was> correct. <laughs> that was my and, and Tamika's raising her yeah. hand. <laughs> Collected a lot of dust. <laughs> you need the motivation. Definitely, right? definitely. Definitely need motivation. Yeah. I know at home I didn't have it as much, but I joined a gym, and, and I got my motivation there. So I was able to lose uh, about 35 pounds, actually. I can't imagine you... Being overweight. I was. I was really? very overweight. Yes, sir. And when you talk to uh, uh, seniors at the Women's Senior Centers, what do you tell them about exercise? You know, the great thing about the Women's Senior Centers is that they have exercise programs there. They, they are very active in Zumba. Uh, the members there, are, are they love their Zumba classes. And they have um, exercise rooms. They have weights and, and, and cardiovascular machinery, treadmills and ellipticals. So it's fantastic. We definitely promote exercise. Um, exercise and physical activity at WellMed. Um, they even have trainers, personal trainers there. So we really encourage them to get in about 150 minutes a week uh, of cardiovascular exercise, you know, spread out like Dr. Valverde was saying, spread out. If you have 10 minutes, take that 10 minutes and do a nice brisk walk, you know, around your neighborhood or, or on the treadmill if you have one. And the nice thing about the WellMed Senior Centers, they're free. 
Exactly. 60 and over, free. Yes, it's fantastic. I wish I could go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a while. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, a you little and Dr. Bit. Valverde have a little while to go before you get that magic I'm excited, number. though. I'm excited. So, Dr. Valverde, what happened we asked you about uh, fatty liver cirrhosis, be the non-alcoholic or how alcoholic that you want to share with us? Well, the only uh, thing that I have left to say about cirrhosis is because it is a chronic inflammatory response and insult to the liver, you can actually develop hepatocellular carcinoma, so essentially liver cancer from cirrhosis. And about 2 to 8% of patients per year will be diagnosed with hepatocellular carcinoma. So in essence, your lifestyle and diet can lead to liver cancer. There is a pathway to that, which sounds kind of insane to think about, but unfortunately it happens. So you're playing roulette? Kind of, yeah, yeah. And in terms of diet, what do you recommend? Uh, so, you know, most people like to, as far as, you know, losing weight, they like to sacrifice uh, breakfast for some reason. They skip breakfast and just do lunch and dinner. And for some reason, dinner always tends to be the heaviest meal of the day. But what are you going to do right after you eat dinner? You're going to sleep. You're not going to burn off any of that um, cal- caloric intake. So it actually be inversed. Uh, breakfast should be the biggest meal of the day. Lunch and dinner should actually be the, the smallest. And in terms of food selection, are you a Mediterranean diet fan? Uh, uh, not necessarily. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a perfectly fine diet. Uh, it's low in salt, low in, you know, fat content. It's, it's, you know, higher, higher amount of vegetables. Um, so I've just been, I've been forced somewhat into that diet because my wife is actually Indian. So that's all the kind of cooking I get at home. So I've been lucky in that aspect. And is she a vegetarian also? No, no, no. She's not vegetarian. She, she eats meat. And as you think about uh, your patients, as you recommend approaches to diets, how receptive are they? Uh, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty receptive. Uh, in fact, more often than not, they approach me about whatever kind of diet fad that happens to be ongoing, and that's kind of uh, snowballs the conversation into specific diets. Got to stop you right there. I want to thank you for coming in, Dr. Alessandro Valverde. He's with the Family Medical Home at Westover Clinic, and are you looking for new patients? Uh, every day. Call them. No salesman will call you back. Thank you. (laughs) Tamika Sanchez, thank you for sitting in today as our guest co-host on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.